Hey, Basic Brown Nerds, this is Joy Valerie. And one of the questions that people are always asking me is, how do I start a podcast? Well, I've been podcasting for almost three years now. And let me tell you, back when I started, there weren't many tools that made it simple to just start. And lucky for you, now there's Anchor.fm and you could get started right away with tools built in, audio features, and also making it really simple for you to monetize on day one. They will distribute your podcast on apps like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. So just go to anchor.fm or download the app to get started and make sure that you share it with us. This poem is called Raiz. Nuestras raíces son the unwavering connection al cielo, tierra y agua de vida, giving our spirits buoyancy in the same manner matter tells space and time to curve equally as space and time tell matter to move. And yet we sit confused, believing gravity insists on weighing us down. We live simply, not realizing we have lift and are capable of rising like the marvelous sun and be bright like technicolor in a world of monochromatic blandness and glow like technicolor in a world of monochromatic blandness and glimmer like technicolor in a world of monochromatic blandness of what they call whiteness in this world we shine cocinamos pupusas con puños trabajamos la masa con fuerza y ganas caminamos nuestros chunches a la pulga y expresamos el amor el esfuerzo, la raganería, los poemas nuestra frustración, nuestra indignidad los cantos, el toro gozo y el gozo de todo nuestro corazón in defiance of all that they stole and in the bittersweet memory of all whom we've lost Hi, Basic Brown Nerds. I'm your host, Joy Valerie. And honestly, only the OG diaspora kids will understand today's episode. Today, I will be talking to my good friend, Freddie. And we're realizing that we've become our parents. So we're discussing what it means to grow up in the diaspora of Latin American immigration to the U.S., as well as growing up to very religious parents and how that really affected who we are today. Freddie is a Salvadoran poet and writer, and he immigrated to the Pacific Northwest when he was just a child. So we're going to be unpacking all of this today. So make sure you listen up. P.S. Don't forget to tag us on Twitter and in your Insta stories at Basic Browners to let us know that you're listening. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Is this still recording? Because I think it caps yeah. out. It. Deep. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons we bonded. Like, I remember seeing your poetry and just seeing that out there. So, we like bonded through the internet, like more than a year ago. More than a year through Central American Twitter. Yeah. So, Central hashtag Central American Twitter. Right. right. And it was really interesting to see one other Central Americans, like mm-hmm. especially like I'm from New York, and now there's more Central American. Now you see Guatemala in the news and whatnot. Not always in the best light. Right. 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 Um, 
And it was really cool to see other people having the same and similar experiences, mm -hmm. right? Um, and Central American Twitter gets like blown up all the time. People are having like really, you know, interesting conversations on it. Yeah. And yeah. then also through Instagram. <laughs> yeah. So it, it naturally followed, right? So you, if you were following somebody on Twitter and then they posted about stuff that they were doing on Instagram, you would go and you would, uh, you would look it up. And, um, or in this case, you guys launched a podcast and I became interested. So what I didn't realize though, is that I actually was following all of your accounts and didn't realize they were all you. <laughs> so there was, so at a certain point on my Instagram feed, um, in the IG stories up at the top, there were four of you and you kept showing up and it was the same set of slides. And I kept thinking, I, Wait, I was, slides. What do you mean slides? The cards, the, the cards that you can scroll through when you're, when you're looking at people's stories. Oh, okay. yeah. And you're scrolling through the story. They're little slides that they, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So I would, I would see your story and then I'd be like, okay, well I watched that person's story. And then, so that'd be like, you know, Ooh, good like, mental note. Like, gotta switch up the story. Yeah, be like Valerie Joy, and then part-time exploradora would show up, and then I'd be like, "Is this not the same thing that I just saw?" And then basic browners <laughs> would show up, and I'd be like, "Oh my god, this woman is stalking me!" No, I'm I stalking her on the internet. I felt, you know, so it was just kind of like, dude, she's everywhere. So at that point, I, I, I believe I messaged you, and I said, "Yeah, dude, you're everywhere. You're and off I was my just feet. like, "Oh my god, I've been exposed." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "I'm on to you." But yeah, I think that that was the time I was like, oh shit, I've been exposed. And then I realized you were the same person that like we had talked on Twitter. Right, right. That's when I was connection. like, oh, you're the same. Because your Twitter IG is different from your IG. Wait, not Twitter handle. Yeah, my Twitter handle is different from my IG handle. And that's when I was like, oh my God, it's the same person. Yeah, yeah. And you were writing more at that time. Yes. And like sharing poems. And I was like, whoa. And like, I'm not a big poetry person. Like, right. I don't understand literature very well. <laughs> I'm, I'm so, as a highly educated woman, she understand. You understand. I understand, but you know, like I don't. I was never an English person, like grammar. All of Got that. Yeah, um, yeah. I am always been a very like techie person. So even I remember when I was like in my English class, and you know that that drawing that they do where they dissect everything. But yeah, even I remember in my grammar class, they did that like little. It's like a rocket ship where you dissect like the verb and the pronouns and all that shit. And I was like, oh, just when it was like logistics, right? Yeah. And I was just yeah. like, this makes sense. Because yeah. like my brain always thinks of ABC, like kind of, yeah. you know, like everything needs to connect in some yeah. way. It's funny um, you mentioned that because that's what, that's what writing pieces is like. You, you have a puzzle and you might have like an image that you like, or you have a phrase that you're drawn to and you build around it, you know, huh. and you expand your thought and you're, you know, Interesting. putting Because even that, when I write, I write how I speak. Yeah. So there's no like pattern to it. <laughs> uh, like it's just very like going through my thoughts kind uh -huh. of thing. So it's like hard for me to even like go back, restructure it. That's so you know? funny. I feel um, like everyone has a pattern. And so I'm always listening to huh, okay. the cadence that people use and how they, the tone that they use and stuff. So I find that interesting. But, but then, yeah, I think I told you like, oh, like my friend Gracia like writes and that's how you guys started connecting right? yeah she had a poem that she what we were doing an event here in san francisco called undocufest and she wasn't able to oh, yeah. physically be at the event mm -hmm. they were raising money for um undocumented students who wanted to study law 
to help them with their books, et cetera. And so we did this event at a really cool venue in San Francisco called El Rio. And so we, we did this event and Grecia couldn't be there. So a mutual friend now of all of us, Monica, uh, Monica <laughs> showed up and actually read Grecia's poem to yeah. the audience. It was a packed house. It was amazing to see. That event was awesome too. Uh, Yosimar uh, Reyes was there and a ton of other folks were had an opportunity to perform that day. It was really cool. And I got to be a part of it. That's so cool. Yeah, I remember seeing clips of it. Yeah, yeah and that's how so I connected to Grecia as well, you know? Yeah, so it's like even funny because like when we met, like I was kind of just like, oh, hey. And it's just kind of like, oh, well, I know this person. Not like, ah, right. you know, like I've never met you. It's demystifying like, meeting off the internet. Yeah, sure. it's really funny. So yeah, and it's really funny because a lot now I think most of my friends are people from the internet. Like even Gracia and I reconnected through Facebook. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's interesting how I think the internet, like as horrible as it could be, i.e. fake news and Nazis, um, it could be a really great tool to connect with other people when you are from a very like niche group. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like us being hashtag Central American Twitter. Right. 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 Um, where I was just like, oh my God, there's other people that get this. So, yeah, you read your poem, and I would like you to introduce yourself officially. Yourself officially. Yes. To, our, to the basic round earth listening. <laughs> All right. So, um, like I said, my name is Freddie Isaguirre uh, Merlos. I am living in San Francisco and working here. And I. I write and I, um, and I perform spoken word poetry locally here in the uh, SF Bay area. This is my second time living in the Bay. I really like it. Wait, really? Yeah. So I lived here in 2007 uh, to 2008, uh -huh. uh, the first time, and came out here actually because I got hired to tour a kid's show. So I performed. What? Yeah. <laughs> so I performed children's theater right. um, in front of kids, 500 to 1,000 kids every day for like nearly a year. And wow. um, it's actually all tied to a, a larger story because that first time I lived. Oh man, there's photos. Damn, I need to see those. Yeah, the photos are pretty hilarious. <laughs> Were you a biased one? Because that's what I'm um, I had. I was the funny one in the show for sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I worked a lot of like <laughs> puppets, like Lion King style puppets. Wait, what? Yeah. I and I did like acrobatics and tumbling. What? Yeah. And we sang and we danced and we had bright costumes. Whoa. Yeah. So there was a period of my life where I did the performing arts. Right. And I did the performing arts because, um, mostly because it was the one area that I felt like I could, I found an outlet in life. Um, cause I grew up mostly undocumented in the country. Actually really crazy story is my, I had a work permit at the time uh, under TPS cause I Salvador national and I had TPS and it expired. Wait, so did your family come here under TPS? No. Or um, so TPS is something I obtained yeah. while, while living here. Oh, so okay. we, so I was born, uh, in 1982, we left El Salvador because of the civil war in the late eighties came to the Pacific Northwest, mm -hmm. grew up in the Pacific Northwest, which is- How did you end up there? So my parents, uh, my dad had family out there oh. and they were part of the migrant um, farm working community. Oh, so that was the connection there. Sense. So we, we went up there and um, so I wasn't in LA. 
I wasn't in San Francisco. I was in this really remote area where there were no other Centroamericanos at all. And so growing up there, I felt disconnected. I was undocumented um, and had a very interesting experience being in in a mishmash of rural farm country and wine country and white suburbia. Hmm. Very confusing. <laughs> so that's that's where I grew up. There weren't a lot of Central Americans. There were a lot of Mexican folk, a lot of Chicanos mm. up there and campesinos and uh, and the white folks. So the Pacific Northwest in that region, uh, in eastern Washington state, has the highest uh, density of PhDs in that region because there is a nuclear reactor site out there called Hanford. And all these chemical engineers work out there. Oh, I study chemical engineering. <laughs> so like these are the people I grew up around. Um, and so they all they all work for uh, a company called Hanford out there and they do cleanup. Uh-huh. And uh, because out there they tested parts of the atomic bomb uh, out okay. for the as part of the Manhattan Project. And so there's junk in the ground. <laughs> your, your face is like what yeah so there's there's uh is there a lot of like medical side effects there <laughs> like in the population there's so radiation exists in the natural environment right and right. in certain locations natural radiation um is actually greater than what is in that area oh um, but they've been doing cleanup there for years and years and years so that's where we grew up it's oh, a, okay. so there's nuclear farming wasteland. near, near nuclear waste, uh, <laughs> where they grow vegetables. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> Washington state, actually the greatest, uh, the greatest export is apples. So Washington apples. Well, I thought New York was like the big apple because we have apples. Yeah. Is that, is that, yeah, that's, the thing. that's why you call it the big apple. That's, that's really why. Yeah. We, Apples everywhere, apple farms everywhere. That's like the thing you do in the fall. You go apple picking. That is amazing. So I picked apples. So with my parents growing up, I like for funsies or for like labor. <laughs> <laughs> no, for labor we would actually oh, go and no, yeah, like, I picked cherries and my mom's like, with them. Uh, we we did asparagus. Uh, we did the apples. Yeah. So we grew up in that type of area. There were, there's a ton of wineries out there. And a nuclear <laughs> a nuclear power plant um, where they're cleaning up nuclear waste. Yeah, so we that's where I grew up. I came to the Bay Area in 2007. And, that's, and it was after I'd graduated from uh, the Delarte International School of Theater. So I went to this one-year conservatory. I graduated, and then I got hired to tour a kid's show. And that was my first time in the Bay. Uh-huh. Up to that point, I didn't have uh, documents except for my TPS and a work permit. You Do you get a work permit from TPS? Yeah. Um, because there, in 2001, 2000, 2001, there was a major earthquake in El Salvador. And, and so um, it was Attorney General John Ashcroft. He was the AG at the time. And he, um, the Homeland Security Office said, hey, we're going to make TPS available to Salvadorans. And so I had a permit. So even technically you came here like seeking asylum through civil war, you qualified for. So we, we, we did not qualify for asylum when we got here. Oh. Um, we, that's why we ended up here the way we did is because we didn't, we didn't have that made available to us. Oh. So we, we came here, we didn't have that as a recourse and it took a long time to start the process, uh, to start the process to, you know, 
to figure out, okay, well, how do we get this fixed or whatever? And so it was really difficult for my parents because it was expensive and uh, English is their second language. And so there was a lot of tension about, you know, how do we do this? There's a lot of stress about how do we get this fixed. So yeah, that's, we jumped around a little bit, but you know, that's, you know. Well, that's kind of your story. You know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And this kind of like does tie into a lot of what we wanted to talk about and kind of how we bonded was talking about being part of the diaspora, right? Yeah. Um, and Central American. So also like what kind of inspired your poem? I think that was a really good so, um, and uplifting too. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the the major thing of all of that, tumultuous time of being in varying levels of documented or undocumented at different points led me to uh, have to become really adept at code switching and finding ways to navigate the the places I was in. So the, my hometown is very was very white suburbia, but also there was a Mexican presence there. And for me as a Central American kid, I didn't see myself reflected, mm -hmm. you know, and it's one thing to have people speak Spanish with you and have some, you know, some sense of connection to that. Right. But specifically being Central American made me different. Right. And so I automatically had to start finding ways to navigate that landscape or end up getting bullied, made yep. fun of, you know, for talking funny, for uh, looking different, et cetera. And with my parents, um, because there was that stress about being undocumented, there, you know, there was a pressure that came with that of being careful with what I did, staying out of trouble, mm -hmm. finding ways to, you know, not fall into the same traps that other kids fall into where them being out in the open like that was kind of like a liability. So for my parents, there was a sense of, you know, you, you need to be careful with what right. you do. Right. And I think that's choices. really interesting that now we're being like, start like these Central Americans and everything. And it's like, actually, we're the least likely to commit crimes. Right, right. right. Our parents are really, are really strict about that. Almost to like a like, paranoia. representing everyone, you yeah, know? And you're yeah. just like, okay, so much pressure. So we kind of wanted to talk about what does it mean to be the oldest in your family and feeling that pressure to succeed, right? Right. Um, and we've been talking a lot about this today and right. We're both the oldest yeah. too. Right. So yeah. I feel like one, you have that pressure of being the oldest kid. Yeah. You're the guinea pig. You're the trial run, <laughs> you know, and your parents are trying to figure it out. But even then, like that's hard enough. And then you have the pressure of like being an immigrant. Right. right. And right. we were kind of even talking about like being that bridge between, you know, your parents' culture and America and having to facilitate that. Right. And there's right. so much pressure that, even we kind of lose a little bit about being a child, right? Yeah, because you're, you're so worried about all the other things that you have to remember, you yeah. know? And I, for me specifically, my family, uh, we, there was a sense of, okay, we're, we're not from here. And, and so, you know, but we feel from here. Mm -hmm. We feel like we're from here. But at the same time, we were dealing with people who would, immediately look at us and say, well, you're not from here. Right. Where are you from? Yeah. Where are you from? And oh, what? And you know, where are you really from? Where are you really from? The other question is, oh, is El Salvador, is that in Mexico? Mm -hmm. And so there's, you know, so that you're dealing with those elements. Kind of say, yeah, after all. Yeah. And I can't imagine there. like, I can't imagine. So my parents, when we came here, they were in their mid, mid to late twenties. 
Oh, okay. So you know, a little so, bit older. So they're like adult. They're my age. <laughs> so, so that's the thing, right? Is can you imagine being in your mid to late twenties with a kid? No, with four kids. Four kids? Yeah. Oh, so you I'm the oldest. Four? Yeah. So oh, I'm shit. the oldest. My sister and I were born in El Salvador and came with with uh, my mom uh, in the late eighties, and then my two youngest brothers were actually born here. Uh-huh. But what I mean is growing up in that place and they have four kids, two of them are here, are born here and two of them are not from here. And so that's also, you know, that creates a tension and right. a pressure as well. And so being the oldest, there was a responsibility on top of that. I was undocumented on top of that. I was a bridge for my parents, helping translate, explain things to my, to my dad, you know, if he wanted to know what something meant or what, you know, somebody had written to him in a letter from work or anything like that. And with my mom, there was a sense of, for whatever the reason, people were really judgmental towards her because of her accent. So it was a lot of, a lot of navigating that type of, uh, those types of circumstances, whether it be with school, with teachers. And yet my, my, uh, my parents for the stress that they were dealing with still managed to find a way to like put me in the best situation to succeed. My mom ended up joining the multicultural affairs committee of my school and pushed. They have that? Yeah. What about other cultures? And then- <laughs> White, Irish, white, <laughs> white. Um, so they had African American parents that okay. were part of the program, and um, and they were obviously the, the people that had been there a while who who were Mexican, first, second generation oh, Mexican. Okay. Um, and so she showed up as a Central American woman and said, "How come we don't have bilingual education programs?" Mm-hmm. So she helped usher ESL, which then eventually became a dual language program in that community. What? Because she got tired of her little boy, the oldest, getting bullied because he didn't speak English. You know, I didn't speak English. I didn't understand. Right. Um, And so she pioneered that. And And I think that's one of the things people are so undervalued because like, oh, they're immigrants. Like, oh, they have a weird accent. Right. And, And I think I know I adopted in my life undervaluing my own skills and things yeah. because even as growing up, I was the one calling the phone companies and everything, like, you know, paying my parents' bills, like, I mean, me not paying, but as a kid, because I spoke English, right. I was the one making the phone calls. Right. Can we speak to your mom? And I was just like, no, 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 like, I, I got this. Right. And it's funny because, like, now I work in business and I'm very, like, just, it comes so natural to me. Yeah. But it's something that I don't even see as a skill for myself because right. I'm just like, oh, I just do this. And it's like, you know, you just kind of grow up hustler. Yeah, you would, you end up adopting those. So my mom was always involved. She saw how difficult it was for me. And then once I got the hang of it, um, she's, she was very proud. And then she said to herself, like, other kids shouldn't have it this hard like mm. how do we make it easier and so she set an example my father my father was a hard worker um so you saw them despite the difficulty of the circumstances always pressing forward and it made it intense as an environment because there's so many things you have to remember you know so many places you have to avoid uh things that you can't do because it's deemed you know not just inappropriate necessarily or also a risk you know, you don't go hang out with those kids that we don't know them or, you know, that kind of a thing. But then on top of all of that, you're slowly adopting the same behaviors of your parents. 
as you're growing along because to survive, you have to kind of take on their hustle as a way to navigate this entirely new landscape. And I think that, I think that's, that's the key, right? Where you, you, you take on the traits of your parents to survive the, your code switching reality. Yup. And I think that's really funny because like originally talking, like we were just kind of like, shit, we've become our parents. Yeah. 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 <laughs> now I'm older and, I, and now I'm looking back and I'm like, wow, all those, you know, that work ethic, mm-hmm. um, that, uh, the attitude of, I'm not going to take no for an answer. Mm-hmm. You know, people say, Oh, we can't do that. And figuring it out, figuring like, it out in the worst of circumstances. Even right now, like as we're recording, we're just like, what are we going to do? Okay. We're going to pick this up. Like, Oh, we'll find this room. Right, right, you know? right. And it's all makeshift. <laughs> yep. And people are like, how you do it? And I'm like, I just started and I figured it out as well. Like that's just the immigrant way. Right. Right. And so, and there's less margin for, um, Error with immigrant right. parents because there's so much riding on you that pressure outgrowing the station that that they brought you in, and I think that's that's something that's really difficult when you're when you're a kid to understand, but as you get older you start to realize wow my my parents really sacrificed a lot. You're listening to Basic Brown Nerds, and we'll be right back. This summer is going to be dope as fuck. The Basic Browners team is going to be part of amazing events going on in New York City, starting with Pride. So join us at Queen's Pride Parade on Sunday, June 2nd. Meet the Basic Browners team. Have a chance to record your coming out story with Douglas, as well as take pictures and videos in our booth with artwork by queer artists and get a chance to win free gifts from Gay Pride Apparel. So make sure you're following the loudspace for more details. And on Tuesday, June 11th, we're going to be talking about money because Latinas get 53% of what we deserve. So my friends Carolina, Diana and I have teamed up with the financial gym to host an event called Let's Talk Pay. It's going to be a panel and workshop to get you comfortable negotiating your salary, determining your rates and make sure we're doing our part to get the rest of that money. So make sure that you're following me at Joy Valerie on Instagram for all the updates, as well as getting on our mailing list to make sure that you are in the know for the events this summer. Visit basicbrownnerds.com and get nerdy. You can listen to our other episodes, shop some of our cool products, and get to know more about this fun project. Hey, Basic Brown Nerds, this is Joy Valerie, and I have some really exciting news for you. We have launched our merch shop. So you can go to basicbrownnerds.com slash shop and rep the basic brown nerd movement. And this is one of the ways that we can keep making high quality content and bring you season three. Yup, we are bringing season three in 2020. And know that when you go to our shop, you're not just supporting us. You are not just supporting the production of this. 100% of the profits goes back into Basic Brown Nerds so that we can bring you more episodes. But also because I want to make all of the ideas that I have a reality, events, and keep bringing you awesome content that every time you listen or see Basic Brown Nerds, You know that these are people just like you, that in this time where people are talking so much crap about us, that you know that our community is strong, powerful, resilient, that we make things out of nothing. And to be honest, that's how we started Basic Brown Nerds almost three years ago. 
we started in front of a computer and just trying to figure it out. So if you've been listening since then, thank you so much. And when you shop from Basic Browners, you're not just supporting this. You are supporting local business, local Guatemalan-owned business right here in New York. So thank you. And feel free to reach out to us on social media at Basic Browners and also to me at Joy Valerie with two E's on Instagram and Twitter. I am low-key addicted to social media. That's literally my career. (laughs) I work in media. So I'm really excited to get to know you all, but also feel free to send me any opportunities, any ways to collaborate to keep making this bigger and keep Basic Brown Nerds going. So see you next decade in 2020. I don't know if you experienced this or not, but like there was like a weird like stretch of time in my life. I literally was convinced that everything was of the devil. <gasps> Me too. Like, wait, okay. Just, so I think we were saying like, should we talk about religion or is this a different conversation? <laughs> but like, you know, this is part of like Latino culture. And even as we were walking around like the mission districts, right. And there's like these beautiful murals and there's just this very Catholic Christian theme that ties in. There is a reverence in Latino culture right. for Christianity. And even as we were going down and, and, you know, like seeing people preaching on the streets and I was like, yo, that's my parents. Right. right and right. and it's interesting because actually my dad used to come to San Francisco a lot and he's a preacher, right? Like oh, wow. he used to get flown out to Oakland and San Francisco, like, when I was a teenager, like my right. stepdad, he's right. my parents were pastors. Um, and so he used to get flown out here. And yeah. like, it's very interesting because the things that I find beautiful and like about San Francisco, like how accepting, how diverse it is, right? Like there's a lot of like, like I was going through Castro district and I'm like, this is awesome. Like it just feels safe and welcoming. Um, but because it's like the gay neighborhoods, right? And I'm just, and that's like things that my family was like, I must go to you know and and it's so funny because it took me so long to unlearn that like you know like everything for me was was yeah the way it was it's fucking traumatizing your parents are trying to protect you right right? so so and and there's this christian influence that they bring with them (laughs) that they bring right because it exists in latin america because of colonialism and etc so you're here in this new place, there's a, a viable threat and they act in a way based on what they know and what they trust. Right. And what I came to learn was that from my, from my mom, there was, you know, in particular, she had a strong faith right. and a strong set of core values. And that created for her a, a moral compass. Mm-hmm. And that moral compass was the way that we, it became the framework for how she protected us in this new world. Given that those were the circumstances they were doing the best that they could. But there was a stretch of my life where I was like, I can't do anything fun. All these other kids were doing others of the cool stuff. They were going to the parties. They were doing these things. But, and I was like, I can't do any of this fun stuff. And I felt 
So I was going through a lot of feels as a kid because I, I felt different. I knew I sounded different. I was totally. I'm picturing like a little emo Freddy. Like little, emo, <laughs> little, little Drake Freddy. Just like all of his feels. All of my feels all the time. And, fe- <laughs> and it's just not not effectively connecting with other people. Mm-hmm. And and it was tough because the church that we went to, uh, there weren't a lot of people of color that went there. And so there was a... That's and, really interesting. And that really created the environment that led to the need to master code switching, to be able to navigate these these white spaces and to be able In to... Church. In church. Whereas like for my family, it was the opposite. Like my mother actually was not very religious. Her family is... Christian. I have a lot of uncles and aunts that are pastors, oh, wow. and she grew up in the church, but she was like, eh. But I feel like coming to the U.S., for her, it wasn't until I was a teenager. So I grew up, like, secular before then, right? Okay. Um, in Queens, which is super diverse, like, um, but I didn't know any other Guatemalans, like, just okay. no Central Americans. Like, everybody was Mexican, and I was kind of like, wish I was Mexican, because then people wouldn't call me a watermelon. Like... <laughs> It's like, where's Guatemala? And I was like, I'm like, no, I'm not a watermelon. Like, I'm Guatemalan. But I was still very proud of that, right. but not really understanding what it was, yeah. right? Um, but for her, she found community because we went to a church because I was always a very, like, I don't know, I guess I was always a little philosophical kid asking questions. So she found, like, we ended up going to my Thea's church which ended up being all Guatemalans, like predominantly Guatemalans and Central Americans. Oh, wow. So for her, I feel like it was, she was dealing with stuff, like dealing with mm. her own stuff, like depression. And for her, it was like an outlet and coping mechanism. Yeah. So she went there seeking something and ended up finding community. Right? Wow. Like that was, and it's interesting because that's when I met other Guatemalans, but they all went to public school. Whereas my parents made sure that I went to Catholic school because our neighborhood was very Italian. Our neighborhood was very white. And they kind of were just seeing that like, okay, white is the best way, right? Like that is the path. Like if you have what they have, like we make it here in America, right? Uh, So I feel like for them, they impose that on a lot of me, right? And like growing up at first, it was like, oh yeah, cool. We had a a kikiki. A rooster. A rooster. (laughs) You know, like first we moved in and they were like, I had a, my third birthday party was a piñata party. But, um, but yeah. And and then like, we were the weird people. And now looking back on it, I'm like, my neighbor was hella racist. Like he called Mm. the cops on us because of the rooster. Uh, apparently you can only have chickens in New York City because roosters are a noise violation, uh, right? And then we also, like, metimo monta de gente, and they're like, oh, my God, there goes the neighborhood. But at the same time, my parents, like, would pass as white. Like, they look, they're a lot lighter than me, so they're just very, like, mistaken for Sicilian sometimes, like Italian. Then you hear the accent. People are like, ah, you know? Um, but it's interesting because I noticed as I grew older and older, how much more we assimilated and like mm-hmm. kind of lost a lot of like our culture and stopped being so like Latino. Right. And yeah. I feel like once we went to church, that's where I noticed my code switching. Like my, like kids would make fun of me and call me a coconut and you'd be like, you talk funny. And I was just like, I speak properly. But like yeah, now yeah. looking back, I'm like, Oh, it's because my parents very much instilled that in me to make sure that I could succeed later on, right? That I, like, as opposed to a lot of other people I grew up, like, knowing, other Latinos, I realized that I can code switch a lot, right? And then I moved out to suburbs and stuff, and I feel like those Latinos I haven't found as much until, like, I started creating, which is why when I was like, 
my gosh, like you get it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you grew up in that environment, and so you you're in this so you're in this particular situation where you want to be accepted, mm-hmm. and I because. So the neighborhood I grew up in was, it was, you know, really Chicano heavy and, uh, the community was as well. And then if, if they weren't Chicano, they were, there was, there were white folk. Right. And this is a small town. Going to church is customary. Were there, there. Chicanos in your church or? There, yeah, there were some. Yeah, yeah, there were some. But it was really, you know, it was an overwhelming, you know, majority. Right. And I, you know, and this church was huge. Was and like, then there was Pentecostal. Yeah, yeah. Right. So the Pentecostal uh Which also like another, you know, tool of white supremacy. <laughs> <laughs> a whole other discussion. Um yeah, so then you know, the, the, there was the way that things were in that environment. And from that environment of being pitted against diff- these two different communities, I had to find a way to negotiate between them. Mm-hmm. And the challenge became that the brown kids said to me that I was acting white and the white kids, uh, the white kids were like, like I sounded like them in a way, but also I was different, looked different, was obviously. Oh, but you're not like the rest of them. But you're not like the rest of them. Right. So there was so, so somehow I got some sort of pass, but it was like conditional. Right. Right. And I think that's because like language makes people comfortable. Right. Like right. If you sound like them. Right. It's easier to accept you, but still it's, you're not really accepted. Right. So yeah, I think like, that's like the, the pros and the con, like just the messiness of code switching. Right. Yeah. And like navigating that back and forth. Yeah. Traversing those spaces, I think was, I mean, for me, I, cause I was an awkward kid. Mm-hmm. So I, I was into the oh, arts. I was into, I was into my feels. I was into drawing and writing. I read, a, I read a lot of books. Oh my God, you were a little basic brown. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I was like, like I drew people drawings Basically to test the waters and see if they like wanted to be my friend. So basically like so with my guy friends, I would draw like ninja turtles. Uh-huh. And then with the gals in school, this is like fifth fifth grade, fourth, fifth grade, I would draw um like beauty and the, <laughs> beauty and the beast and like Disney characters, like princesses and stuff, or like it, what's his name from the from Beauty and the Beast? The the candle. What is it? Le, Le, Lemieux. Lemieux. Is something it? French. Yeah, something French. Lumiere. No. Lumiere. 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 That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. So I would draw him and like. No, Mrs. Ponds. <laughs> I do. I drew Chip. Oh, I drew a little Chip. And that was a way of like breaking the ice, right? (laughs) Like, look, I I make drawings and doodles and stuff, you know? And so I was looking for ways to connect. Mm -hmm. And in church, we did for a while go to a Spanish speaking church. Um, We did have access to the pastor was Dominican. What? In fact, uh, they were, uh, yeah. So I don't actually know how they- There's like not even Dominicans here. (laughs) I know, but somehow in Pasco, Washington, you know, there they were. And so, it was interesting because uh, in each of those spaces, we were still, because we were Central American, we were still a minority and underrepresented. Right. And so as we- Butter jokes. 
often, often. But the family that understood us the most was this, you know, Dominican family. And I'm assuming there weren't any other Dominicans. And no. <laughs> and so they, they understood us. They, they understood what it was to be, you know, different, obviously. Mm -hmm. And right. so. Is it like we kind of are Latino and we can bond over that, but like. Well, there's still some cultural aspects. Of the there was a lot of there was a lot of similarities. Mm -hmm. uh, we got along. Uh, their kids liked us. We liked them. We, we we hung out. My mom. So this is this is an interesting thing. My mom instilled in me a sense of I call it respectful fear. Okay. And it's when you respect someone so much to the extent that you you're afraid of their reaction. Yo, that's that's called being a parent. That's what parents <laughs> do. They're like you're like you love me because you fear me. You know? <laughs> right, right. And so you're like, so I don't it's funny because you. So like this pastor's kid, so I, so I knew these pastor's kids and they were always behind the scenes kind of subversive and they would, you know, suggest ideas that of things to do, activities that might be, might be breaking the rules, you know, the, and the PKs. Yeah. The PKs, the PKs. That's how we roll. Yeah. The pastor's kids would, would be like, let's do this. And I, even as a young kid was like, you know, in the back, like, I don't know you guys, like maybe my mom might be upset. Like, you know, just totally like ner the nerdiest kid and afraid to take any risks. Uh, because I was like, if we get caught, I'm busted. Like, Yo, I'm okay. So question, being the oldest kid, this is something I realized, like, when my sister was around five, so I was like 13, my mom, when I was little, would always be like, don't make me count to three. You know, like, yeah. un, tres, dos, she'd count down. Dos, and I was like, okay, 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 okay. Right, because I was always afraid of the consequences. So I've always been a very, like, structured group. Like, you know, like, I was like, okay, I have to, like, follow this, 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 that. And then I realized when my sister was little, my mom started counting down, and she was just like, tres, dos. And my sister's like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And I was like, why? And then nothing happened. The defiance. And I was seated. just like, and my mother was just kind of like, nothing happened. She didn't hear. Not my mom slapped me on the hand once. Like I, she never hit me growing up. And like she slapped me on the hand once, and I like lost it. I was like, wow. I'm gonna call like child services. <laughs> I was like, don't you fucking dare! You're gonna sound like a ridiculous kid. Like you know, right. like my mom slapped me on the hand. Right. Um, but but then when I realized. Nothing happened to my sister. I was just like, yo, my life has been a lie. Just wow. like I lived in fear so for there the was longest no, time. So, so she would like, so you would get punished though. Like you would get sent to your room. No, nothing happened. Nothing. No, because I never got down to three or up to three, you know? Like, oh, you was just changing your behavior. Yeah, I was just like, all right, okay, okay, right. I'm good. You but know? your sister went all the way to the end of the countdown <sighs> and it just... Nothing. nothing happened and i was like wow you're like oh what yeah and she's always pushing it like i yeah. like she has a very different dynamic with my mom than i do and we're eight years apart and you know there's like that study like every what is it more than five years it's like basically a new game kind of like they're just <laughs> drink because you know and it makes sense like as i've gotten older i realized like i'm in a different stage in my life right like than i was five years ago um but just did not get in trouble. And I was just like, wow. Just, 
my mind is completely wow. bone. But she's always, I had a very different dynamic where I would kind of barter with my mom. Oh, wow. So I was just like, okay, my mom didn't let me go. She got all upset. Let me let her cool down and then come in with the option B. You know, like I always had that backup plan that right. I was just like, okay, I'm going to aim high yes. and then like settle for this, you know? Like, right. damn, I've always been hustling. Just like, you know, like I was just like strategically um, and kind of like, I kind of convinced my mom that this was her idea. Um, but yeah, just seeing that different dynamic. And you were kind of talking earlier about your sister, right? Yeah. And that different pressure that you feel as you being the oldest male, as opposed to you being the senior sister and your siblings, right? Yeah. So my sister is the only, um, she's the only girl in the family. And I think she deserves all the credit for surviving that, first of all. <laughs> um, it's really tough. So my, so my father passed away uh, when I was 16. And since I'm the oldest by five years on between me and my sister. So I was 16, she was 11. And then uh, my next, uh, the next brother over was uh, nine and the next brother over was seven. So there was this added sense of responsibility and pressure. Um, There was the, you know, the environment where we were, there was the religious aspect of it because we avidly went to church and that was, you know, something that we did um, actively. And then in addition to all of that, there was the interpersonal dynamics of my siblings and the different ways that my mom parented each of us. And there are aspects of my mom's personality now that I see so clear. I got them from her, you know, because my my father was only with us for a, a certain extent. So most of the time now of, of coming into adulthood has been really emulating my mother's decision making Mm -hmm. and seeing the way that my sister takes on portions of my mother's personality versus the ones that I gravitate towards. And growing up, you saw that there was a very distinct type of pressure that was put on my sister to be self-reliant, be quick on her feet. And and I, as the oldest, was given almost like a caretaking role that was that was distinct. And and it, so there's you know so there was so there's a completely different approach between the two of us. And I think it really shaped us in the way that we ended up developing into adults because of the way that you know my mom felt that she needed to rein us in. You know, yeah. she had different types of basically had different types of leashes for for each of us. You know, and, and she had different strings that she was pulling in order to get get us to to see from her perspective what you know what she wanted out of out of the things that she was having us do. And it's kind of funny that you're saying that you know like you're the caretaker and everything and like having different pressures whereas like women tend to be like okay you gotta figure it out gotta be like independent but then like especially growing up in america we we are independent as women as latino women and and then that's kind of being like oh wait but you're too much like no one's gonna want you at that point it's so and it's, interesting and, you, you know you're that. just like a feminist and like i'm extremely independent like yeah and then at the same time latino culture tends to be no you know like you need a man so this is an interesting where men thing. are very and super taken care of right right so that so that reality exists and my so my mom is a little different mm-hmm. my mom never forced my sister to to be independent but then question her in the sense of like so what about a novio or like you know my mom doesn't impose that on my sister my because my mom sees a lot of herself in my sister and there's 
fierce independence. There is uh, entrepreneurial uh, mindedness. And so my mom flocks to support that. She, she really works hard at helping develop those, those aspects of my sister's personality. But my sister uh, turned out to, to really take after my mom in that way because my mom is very entrepreneurial. Right. I took on the attributes. I took on attributes of, of being a caretaker, of being mindful of being really aware uh, to being able to read a room right. and, uh, and also like even as we were walking you were just like, that person looked at us weird, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just being very aware, being yeah. aware of people and their behavior. And, um, and then not only that, but also to, to know when to be soft. Hmm. I learned that from my mother and I, and I realized now more than ever how much I, uh, I appreciated that being something that I gleaned from her because it helped me navigate difficult situations in the world. There's a time to be stern. And I definitely, you know, I have some of my mom's temperament in terms of being stern and no <laughs> business. And like, I mean, no, no funny business and just saying, Hey, you're not, you know, I have a backbone and you're not going to walk over me. Mm -hmm. But then also there's a higher, I feel like I have a higher level of empathy because of my mother. So it, it's a little bit interesting because it didn't go, it didn't go the way of my mom didn't raise a bunch of like machismo boys mm -hmm. and, and then like a, you know, a frou-frou daughter that wanted to be, you know, fru -fru? A fru -fru, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like all dressed up and gussied yeah, up. Like yeah. my sister's like all about her like jeans and her hoodie and like, isn't, girly quote uh -huh. unquote girly right and so that makes it difficult for her navigating these you know these nuances and culture that say women are supposed to be this way she's like i don't want to be that mm -hmm. and she gets that level of sternness from my mother like i don't have to conform to that right and in my own way i don't conform to hey masculinity is this mm -hmm. and you need to be this way in order to be perceived as you know a man mm -hmm. like well you know i learned from my mother and what I come to understand is that empathy really matters Yeah, and how we navigate our lives and the people that we interact with. And it makes all the difference. True. And it's kind of funny how you're talking about that entrepreneurial mindset. And I think kind of just like wrapping it up, it's really interesting how you grow up in that survival mindset. Right. Yeah. And I have even realized this in my career how so many things that like I grew up always like thinking strategically, like hustling, figuring out how I was going to survive, make the next paycheck. And that's how we live. You know, it's, it's really interesting because we sometimes don't have access to academia, right? To get a master's, to get an MBA. And it's funny that like people literally pay to learn how to think strategically. Our lives our constant struggle that you're just, okay, I need to figure out how I'm going to make money, right? Like figure out how to survive. What am I going to make? What am I going to create? I'm just like making algo de la nada, right? And that's a very, I think, immigrant mentality and especially Latino mentality, but also like something that we learn from our mothers, right? Because you see them trying to make it, right? To hustle. Yeah. And I think even now it's really tricky as Latinos, as like the diaspora, trying to navigate like survival into like thriving. You know, that's one of the things that I found beautiful as in your poem that you were saying, that you're just accepting that you are this like beautiful, magical, colorful thing in this space that's just bland, right? Like in right. whiteness and embracing that as seeing it as a strength instead of like something that makes you weird that you're like ashamed of, right? Right. So that's kind of like what I got from that and just like 
overall, as I've been reflecting about like what it is, like what, how my identity, my culture, how I brought up and it's a strength, right? Like the differences yeah. are what make you resilient and what's going to, you know, empower our own communities. Right. I, no, I, I totally agree. I think the greatest tribute to the resilience of our parents is that we become a version of them that stands in defiance against the odds because mm -hmm. the risk that they took to leave the place they were in. Like we're not supposed to be succeeding. Not supposed to be. Statistics say no. There's all sorts of factors. There's historically from the countries that we come from, there's a lot of tragedy and there's a lot of people who don't make it. Right. There's a lot of people who didn't survive. There's a lot of people who aren't here with us anymore. And they were trying. They were and that's trying. in your blood. And it's in your blood. It's generational, right? And to see my mom be like, well, you know what? These are the things that drive me. And even though I don't necessarily agree with all of the things all of the time, mm -hmm. there are aspects of her personality that I now see, like I can see like is a complete mirror mm -hmm. of the same resilience to stand in defiance, to look at the system and go, you know what? My mom didn't cross three borders, survive a war and deal with the hot mess that is the United States of America all of this time for me to stand here and be like, well, I don't know. <laughs> You know, like she didn't do all of that for me to so suddenly just be like, well, I can't do anything and get all meek about it. You know, so there is definitely an appreciation I have for it. That's a lot of pressure. And for as difficult as it was, there's an appreciation I have for uh, for that pressure, because that pressure is what turns us into the diamonds that we're meant to be. Ooh, you know what I mean? Yes. Like we we that journey not everybody has that and i think that's what sure. that's what makes our parents special mm -hmm. you know they were willing to to take it all on right like as hard as we think we have it they were guessing like they were yeah. flying by the seat of their pants they just are kind of like this is how it is like yeah and it's funny what was it? oh man I can't remember this guy. It's Hassan Minaj. Have you seen yes. his stand-up comedy? Yes. And he talks about the immigrant tax, right? Yes. That, like, I think he had, you know, people calling saying they were terrorists and shattered mm -hmm. his car doors. And his dad just, like, cleaned it up. Right. And, you know, Hassan is just like, what? No, we're American. How dare people do this? I have rights. And his dad's kind of just like, it's just how it is, right? right and I feel right. like that is our parents' generation. That like of being grateful for the opportunity of being exactly. here. Exactly. And it's hard because I feel like even we have that mentality. We sometimes I feel like we I think we, we're coming we cut it. ourselves um, <laughs> off or we, we stop ourselves short of taking advantage of the opportunities that are here mm -hmm. because we almost have like an like an imposter syndrome. Oh yeah. You know, we, we second guess ourselves like, well, you know. What about the community? Or you feel that guilt of or having guilt to help the community. Of having to help the community. Your family, your yeah. siblings. Because it's ingrained in you. Like, you've right. got to help people along the way, and, and there's but an expectation. But we come from those communities. We come from very, like, for lack of a better term, like that tribal mentality of, you know, you give in. Right, like, yeah. right. And so there's the challenge that you have with yourself of, okay, I have learned how to code switch and navigate all this weird, wonky stuff mm -hmm. and, and exist simultaneously in these spaces. And that can be exhausting. Oh. And then in addition to that, <laughs> the community looks at you for leadership because they're like, well, you made it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and I think about that a lot because I lived on. Like God- you act really white. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So, so you can go really, it can go really negative, you know, and people right. and people use it as a way to like, you know, try to cut you down because they're projecting their own insecurity. You sold out. Or you sold out. Or, you know, there's a sense of like, aren't you going to help us? And I think about it a lot because being undocumented in this country from age five to age 35 was by far one of the most difficult things. I actually don't wish that upon anybody at all. Not even my worst enemy. It's like, you don't want that level of uncertainty, that level of paranoia, that level of anxiety. And on top of that, be dealing with the generational trauma that we have that exists within our families. And and that's where that pressure comes from. We didn't just escape all of that for now to quit. Right. And and yet at the same time, taking care of yourself and being like, it's okay for me to succeed or it's okay for me to, to seize this moment or it's okay for me to not feel the need to... Like you deserve goodness. <laughs> yes, you deserve goodness and that not every moment has to be about how can I turn this around to give back. Sometimes it is okay to be like, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> and then sometimes it's honoring your parents' legacy to be like, now we're taking it next level Ooh. and not being afraid of that. I think that's a good note to end on. <laughs> <laughs> taking it to the next level so we can like check back in in a year and see what that next level is yeah yeah for sure and yeah so i think that's just like a lot to process right so thank you everyone for listening and how could people keep in touch with you if they want to follow along they can follow along on instagram my instagram handle is pursuing arete which is a-r-e-t-e it's Greek for excellence, so pursuing excellence, that yeah, you can think of it, but pursuing Arete on Instagram. That's where you can find me. I post my little palms and uh, and then show people what's going on in San Francisco. Yeah. And on Twitter? And on Twitter, it's at Merlos Freddy. M-E-R-L-O-S-F-R-E-D-D-Y. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thanks for showing me around San Francisco. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Peace. Basic Brown Nerds is a production of Carrera Digital Solutions, where dreams, effort, vision come together to empower our communities through tech and media. If you want to support us, you can make a donation through our website, basicbrownnerds.com, or simply share our content with your friends. And lastly, I want to thank the amazing new team members that are making all of this possible. Our producer, Daniela Franco, that's making this season sound amazing. And Douglas Quinteros, our creative strategist, revamping Basic Brown Nerds. And of course, to all of you that continue to listen, support, and collaborate with us. Thanks for listening to Basic Brown Nerds.